Welcome back to the Big Footy Cricket Podcast. Tonight we go over Australia's fantastic win at the Gabba, including Johnson's triumphant return, Davies' first Ashes ton, Clark's captaincy and broad silence in his critics. We then turn briefly to Adelaide, where we'll give a short preview of the second test. Hope you enjoy. Footy Cricket Podcast. Uh, we're here to analyse the first test, which was had an unexpected result, but a very happy one for all the Australian supporters out there, which I'm assuming most of you are. Um, just kick it over to introduce everybody. I'm Pete Tizzle. I'm a specialist indoor fielder from Victoria. Um, Kiptastic, uh, right um, beach bum this week. Get to spend a week at the beach with work, so I'm pretty happy with that. I'm um, Cookson, and I've got nothing funny to say. You never. That's the first. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Tors from WA, with also nothing fancy to say. Maybe we should prepare a bit better for these introductions. Probably should. In the future. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think people look forward to them. I mean, we set such a high standard early on, and we just sort of dropped off as we've gone on. We should have set a low standard. Right, so um, I hand over to Kip Tastic to kip things off. That's terrible. Um, Ugh. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was pretty Thanks. good effort by our guys after the first innings, considering how the first day went. Yep, so what I'll do, I'll just run through the scores quickly for those people who've been living under a rock and, you know, expected England to win this series quite comfortably and have only just emerged to find that Australia had, in fact, won and the world hasn't, in fact, exploded it. Australia recovered from 6 for 132 in the first innings to post 295, which was then followed by England being all, bowled all out for 136. Australia's second innings, Warner and Clark both scored hundreds, and Australia declared at seven wickets for 401, after which they bowled England out for 179. Um, I think we all thought it was going to be a lot closer than the series in England, but I don't think any of us really saw what happened in that test match. Um, yeah, what was your reaction to that, Cookson? I mean, especially after that first day where we were six down and everyone thought, I'll go, here we go again. What, what's your reaction to the win? Well, static happiness for one. I mean, we stuck it up to the palms. If you're not just, like, I think we inflicted some damage to them. I mean, I mean that pitch had some pace in it and some bounce, which we didn't get in England because they decided to do a bit of Doctor Whoing, but... Again, we pretty much we proved that we can play well on our own home turf, and which is probably how every cricket team is. They're good at home and crap away, but it's ecstatic, and hopefully we can press on because if we win Adelaide, we've got one hand on the urn. Well, I was it was a bit awkward for me because um I was already doing my happy dance when Lion flubbed the run out at the end there, but um luckily got to do it the same day. 
bit awkward dancing around the room, clapping, and then realizing you didn't actually get him out. But um, yeah, it was a good performance. Interesting, obviously very bouncy pitch. I mean, you look at um how many catches there were compared to Bolts and LBWs, no LBWs at all. And um, yeah, it was just great. So many good moments. Uh, Haddon's fight back. Um, super sub Saberg taking a catch, which I thought was fantastic considering he's just come from nowhere and. You know, it must be the probably the best moment in his cricket career. Let's be totally honest. And um, yeah, I mean, even the broad stuff was entertaining, and um, the, the ugliness at the end wasn't really that ugly. It was sort of just showed you how much it meant to everyone. And yeah, I think everyone played pretty well. Everyone did their part essentially. And um, yeah, I was just very happy. It was just an all-round win, and it was exactly really what you kind of wanted to see from the Australian team after the first day. It really shows what a big difference um, Mitchell Johnson does when he's up and firing. How often when he makes runs does he take wickets? But to do it in both innings with ball and bat, just, I mean, it just terrified England. They they didn't have any answer for it. It was just, it was just a fear in the eyes. And you see batsmen jumping. You just love to see. That's the sort of thing we we go, we watch test cricket for. Yeah. We watch the bat, see the batsmen tested in some ways. And, Batsmen yeah, in England, they were tested by the spinning pitches. They were tested by the reverse swing. In Australia, they're going to be tested by the bounce. And Johnson coming around the wicket, bowling, particularly the left-handers, the way he made the ball go across them or into their ribs and having them jump around, saw how people like Broad reacted and Trot, obviously. Um, even someone, you know, even doing it to the, tail, the real tail enders like your Tremlets and your Andersons. And it's just, it's really good to see that sort of bowling. Yeah, it's a bit scary. You wouldn't want to face it yourself, but it's just the sort of thing that we watch Test cricket for. Yeah, like you probably look at Trot. I mean, uh, Root in the first innings, he legitimately looked like he wanted to shoot his stuff. He was shaking when he was batting. There's like we'll talk about still techniques and remaining steady, but you could see the fear, which is incredibly pleasant. As we all enjoyed it, we everyone did. I mean, even Harris was getting way up there, probably in the 140s, and, and bowling quick bounces, so there wasn't a lot of respite um, at the other end. Because yeah. even then you had the accuracy. Siddle, Siddle was accurate if going a little bit unrewarded, and then obviously Nathan Lyon with a very, very important performance there that really sort of cemented England's, um, England's collapse in the first innings. Well, it was... It was KP. It was the sort of story of both the innings. Someone got out before lunch and then they collapsed. It's just theirs, but they couldn't have the recovery. I mean, it was um, KP struck out before lunch and then uh, it was just Lyon went bang, bang, and that just kind of brought put up a bit of a fight. But, um, yeah, it was just... I, I mean, it was almost looking like we could enforce the follow-on at one stage. I think it was rude in the first innings. I mean, uh, trot in the first innings because... There was a changeover and we rushed through it and yeah. Oh, yeah that's right. Sorry. Sorry. Bad, bad yeah, memory. the extra over before much short T. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, that that typifies Michael Clark as captain to the T. Like you would not see Alistair Cook do that. He'd be like, Yeah, let's go off, get our activated almonds with <laughs> Olivons or whatever the hell he eats. Compared to us, like we wanted to and it pays. It doesn't uh, it doesn't take them long to get off the um field either because most of them are on the fence. <laughs> Nothing already off the field, it's all just the super subs on the ground. What a massive moment this is! Wonderful bowling, magnificent captaincy, fourth wicket down. And there's another shout, he's gone! Another one to the Aussies! And another one, is it another one? Is it a first baller again? He's had one of them. Edge and he's gone as well. Root is out of there. It was an inside edge. I think that's out. It is out. So there's another one. And it's that man. So, yeah, we, we talked about Mitchell Johnson. We probably should, you know, talk about it more in depth. I mean, coming into this test, it's much more aligned. There was a lot of questions about his place. Was he just being picked off? You know, white ball form. Would bad Mitchell, good Mitch turn up? Would he cost us the match? All this talk. And he's, he's just responded in such... An amazing way, and even even then, this even with that, it's still in the back of your mind that well, maybe this is just the one-off. You know, this is his whacker 
2010-11 test. It's all going to go go to go to pot. People are already talking about leaving out for Adelaide because he doesn't have a good record there. Um, the guys, he could just if he just keeps this up for a, you know at the very least this series and maybe for a year or two. Geez, we'd be so such a better such a better side. Got to say to um, Cooks, and that was great call because he said that you know. Sort of back Mitchell Johnston and said he had, if he had a good game last podcast and we'd win the test and he had more than a good game and he did essentially win us the test and um yeah the funny thing is that his record in Adelaide isn't that bad I think his average is 23 or something there but I think people are worried about not getting the extra bounce but to be honest he just looks vicious he doesn't uh, we've had we've seen good Mitchell Johnston in the past but he just doesn't look as he was just so fiery. I didn't see any sort of hint of... Even the wide stuff he was bowling was sort of scary, you know, because you didn't know what was coming next. It was just complete unpredictable, and, yeah, it was fantastic from him. I think one of the things that, that shows is his confidence level. He just seems calm and confident in who he is. He hasn't had any of the, you know, the um, private life issues coming into this series that he's had in previous series, and, yeah, he, he, dealt, he seems to have dealt well with the Barmy Army stuff, he's, he's sought help for that. and um, I didn't see his first over. I was working, but I, I don't know if the Barmy Army broke straight into the um, Mitchell Johnson song, but even if they did, he seems to have handled it quite well. I didn't hear them break into song, but uh, his first ball was a very much a Mitchell Johnson ball when he started. Although I think he, his first over was far better than Harris's first over, which was a complete mess. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was really... Really? It's very hard to fault anything he did. He didn't get too aggressive. He wasn't really being lippy or anything. He sort of gave a bit of a stare and stuff, but he really just let his bowling and his batting do the talking, and, you know, it certainly did do the talking. Yeah, pretty much he also did that smile to Joe Root, which was just great image, but apparently when the Barmy Army was singing to him, he went over there and he signed... Someone bought a sheet with all the lyrics on it. He just signed it, and so... I don't think he fears the Barmy Army anymore, and I don't think he fears England. So maybe just because also we have an attack that complements his strengths so when compared to 09 and 2011, where he's forced to be the line and length bowler because we didn't play Stuart Clark for some reason in 09. But again, it's probably because we have Clark just tells him to go nuts, and Siddle and Harris can drive runs. So and they did use him in um in the in the reasonably short spells like they. They suggested he might, which I think worked well because it kept him fresh to bowl quick for the spells rather than sort of tiring and, and bowling those loose balls. He still bowled the most overs in both innings out of our bowlers, but uh, yeah, there was sort of been sort of three over bursts, and um, he brought him on whenever sort of took. Clark was very very good. I thought he used the bowlers pretty much perfectly. I couldn't ever fault what he was doing. I mean, I'm a bit of a part time lover. Sometimes I was hoping Smith would come on himself and. <laughs> Stupid things, but um, you know, realistically, he couldn't have done any better. He rotated people out whenever he saw them sort of lacking, and he used Mitchell Johnson perfectly as soon as went for a little bit too much or looked like he wasn't going to get that wicket. He took him off straight away and then brought him back on quickly and just kept having effectiveness. And I think the credit has to go to Clark as well as uh, Mitchell Johnson for how he managed him. I was just going to say, it's probably and also a massive difference in how they captain because Clark is just so much more ahead of the captain than Cook. Like Cook, his solution is uh, if the ball's not swinging, just give it to Anderson or Swan's or not getting wings to the just, umpires. <laughs> he just doesn't understand. He just he runs out of ideas. You can tell that the brains trust in England is not the captain, but it's you know it's Flower and it's Seiko and all that compared to us where we had Buff Clark and. McDermott and Davison as well, yeah. 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 Yeah, people have ideas, they share them. I don't think we can talk just about Mitchell Johnson as the one as the test. I think the entire bowling team really worked well together. Harris was, you know, what we expected of him. Tight, nibbled out those wickets. Like Cook in the first innings, very important. Um, Siddle... I've heard, I've heard a bit of criticism of Siddle, um, particularly from Kerry O'Keefe, um, which I thought was a little bit unwarranted. I think 
his spell to Kevin Peterson at the start of the fourth day was arguably the, the most testing spell, I mean, other, other than the, the raw pace of Mitchell Johnson, in terms of, you know, movement off the pitch and making the batsman play and things like that. It was probably one of the best spells of the match. Then um, that ball to get Bell was quite a brute. And then obviously Lyon. Um, people, again, people were worried that Nathan Lyon wouldn't be effective. Was it worth playing James Faulkner? But, I mean, he took four top-order wickets there. Um, got prior twice. Um, big wicket of Bell, who, you know, we all, as soon as he came in, we were like, well, Bell's just going to carry on with what he did in the English summer, and um, Lyon managed to get him out. Um, and then obviously Cook, after the rain delay, really hastened the decline of the English team in that fourth innings. Who, um, I was trying to think of predictions last time. You, uh, Kip, you picked um, Mitchell Johnson to get most wickets. I don't think any of us would have picked Brad Haddon to get the most runs. So I think... Uh, uh, I, do, I do remember that each of us picked... Um, different bowlers. We all, between the four of us, we picked different bowlers. So yeah. one of us was bound to get it right, luckily me. <laughs> but yeah, none of us beat Haddon. And um, I think, yeah, in his 50th Test match, you do really have to give a lot of credit to Haddon as well because yeah. along with uh, Mitchell Johnston in that first innings, I mean, we could have never done it if Haddon didn't play like he is. It was a very measured innings and we sort of all look a bit silly for the amount of crap we gave him last time. He obviously listened to the podcast and, and yeah, responded. Yeah, he's a big fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean that, that that's probably the most that was probably the most important innings of the match. Hadden's ninety four on the first day. Um really gave us something to bowl at. Um you know, two ninety five everyone said, Oh, it's a four hundred pitch or was a four hundred pitch but not until the third innings. Um they really gave us you know, that that buffer in which we could, you know, attack to a certain extent and it paid off. Um he kept well. I can't fold his keeping in any way. Um, and he seemed to have, you know, some good advice for, for Clark and some of his ideas paid off from what, what I could see watching the discussions. So definitely um, seal this place for the rest of the summer, you'd imagine. And if he keep going like that, especially especially if he keeps performing better than prior, is it's going to be a huge advantage for us. Yeah. Well, let's be honest, anyone can perform better than prior on there. I mean, he's faced like seven balls for four runs. Yeah, yeah that's a shocking form. That is the statistical truth. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, hadn't hadn't sort of acknowledged in that in one of the interviews that sort of yeah said this will basically be the last Ashes. So I just really want to go out and have good memories and stuff. And yeah, I mean, um, prior Kevin he also fine, well, he also starts him ridiculously well. Um, because what's the century at Cardiff, century at the Gabba. Nearly wants to match at Trent Bridge. Yeah, nearly wants to match at Trent Bridge, and now this is like, if he, he should just go on with the mentality of every match is the first test match in an Ashes series. He's better than Don Bradman. <laughs> Wish you could just change players' mentality. I mean, we nearly seem to work almost with uh, Bailey in the second inning, selling it was an ODI, but only worked temporarily. Yes, Belongs to the left-handed opener. What a moment for David Warner. Yeah, so, obviously, after having been in his arm, you're probably looking at Clark and Warner's centuries in the second innings that really, you know, solidified our position in the match and set us up. We had two days to bowl with 500 runs ahead and, you know, almost impossible for England to win or save the game. Um... Warner Carey's good. I mean, he batted well in the first innings, Warner. He just played a loose shot to um, to get out, and he carried on in the second innings. Didn't look flustered in any way by Broad or Anderson or Swan or anything like that. Um, and you probably said this was coming. I mean, he's been batting well in domestic cricket. Um, yes, everyone sort of suggests his North Sydney Oval efforts in the road. He were, you know, short ground. Anyone could have done that. But he just carried on the form. And again, if he's carrying on this form throughout the series, then... Well, it's going to be very hard for us to lose. Yeah. Just ridiculously confident. And um, I think you might have noticed that he did do the rush to 20 thing that he was uh, supposedly told to do by Haddon. He did that in the test too, especially in the first innings. He got there in, I think, about 26 or 27 balls. And then after that, scored very, very, very slowly. But um, 
it seems to work for him. And yeah, I've just never seen. He's in the form of his life. I've never seen him with this level of confidence. I mean, he's always, always pretty confident in himself, but he doesn't look like he's going to get out uh, early on in his innings. And like you said, it was just a very loose shot in the first innings that got him out. And he's just, um, yeah, very impressed with David Warner. And it really might be sort of the time when he actually, people will shut up and realise that he's a proper test player. He's not just T20 guy come test player, test opener kind of thing. Yeah, the big difference between the first and second innings, though, was the ability to pick up singles. It was just... Pretty much Cook was giving him singles. He just went, yeah, I'll take him, yep, I'll take him, yep, I'll take him. Take him all day. I'm like, That's what he has to do. Just be aggressive, get them back, then just pick off singles as much as you like. Then when they come back in, which will probably be when he's in his 90s, knowing Cook, just hit him over the fence. His, um, his defence was pretty solid as well, which is something that um, isn't one of his strengths. And um, particularly the Swan, he used his feet really well, and not not to come down and hack it over the leg side. He he went it inside out through cover and over cover, or down the ground quite a lot, which um, was I found quite impressive actually. And obviously, um, Captain Clark's performance, um, not only the bat but also in the field. I think he captained superbly. He sledged superbly. I think we can all agree with that. Um, <laughs> but just his bat. I mean, he, he can't, that that first you know the, all the talk about. Clark as a batsman in this series was England have worked him out with the short ball and Broad was going to give it to him and all that and after the first innings it looked like that that was going to be the case and he comes in the second innings Cook gives him the signal to get him on strike for Broad's over and then he just um, manages to put it away to the fence and off he goes and you know it's just a sign of what a class batsman he is that he's just able to do that get over that little mental mental thing that could have been forming and perform what the team needs him to do. As I said, when he did that pull shot against Broad, that was as big as a statement as like Steve Harmson's crap ball or or Harmson hitting Ricky Ponting or anything like that. It's just he proved that right. Says it pretty much just come at me, bro. It's like you want a ball there, I'll put it to the fence. They basically put the short ball strategy away after that mm-hmm. shot. Didn't I think they might have tried one more in that over, but then um, he played it pretty well, and, and they just went back to bowling normally to him. Yeah. yeah, and um, pretty much all. So I was gonna say also what he did to Graham Swan too was quite good. He just he's our best player of spin, and he just showed it. He just walked down the pitch and just kicked them off all over the place, and it pretty much ensured that Anderson would have to come back and he would bowl long overs again and again. And also what he said to James Anderson at the end was possibly one of the best things that. Probably the best thing he done in this test match because Anderson's quite lippy and he told Bailey that he was going to get punched in the head and Clark responded in due kind. So I might uh, in, insert the clip there so you don't have to say it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. on at the middle of the over at the moment. Get ready for a broken fucking right. out. The speed that we went along in the second innings was amazing too. I mean, Warner and Clark made tons uh, at an over 80 strike rate. Um, Haddon was nearly going, pretty much going a run a ball. Um, Bailey came out and smashed two sixes as soon as he started. And um, it was sort of like, didn't really need to go quickly, but Clark just wanted all the time in the world. He sort of just was saying, you know, we're not going to lose this one. This isn't going to be one where uh, they don't have faff to stop a whole day and even if they do then we're going to have another day at them as well so you know it's just incredibly impressive how he managed to marshal the troops and it was incredibly effective speaking of george bailey how did you rate this debut could you read do you think you could obviously the first innings you know nerves he got from up at three and then struggled against anderson which a lot of us thought um and then that second innings he batted a bit more freedom but the game was sort of a dismissal we take much out of that or did it just seem more of the same with his one-day innings and he's still too loose to be a test cricketer? I'll probably say the first innings, just with the position we were in and all that, is probably, and the nerves he had, it was probably just too nervous and it showed. But the second innings was much more fluent from him and continue on from his form in India. So he probably needs to just keep building on, just keep going on and just... Yeah, I think I say, oh, well, just don't waft that side off some that much. 
it's probably too early to tell if he's going to make it in Test cricket. Um, one match is not really a great sample size, so he'll probably get the next game. Um, well, he's got, he's definitely get the next game, and then depending on how he goes, I mean, I think he'll get. Personally, I think he'll get it most of this series. If he struggles up to the um, the fourth tier, then I think they might bring someone else in, depending on how the um, how to win. If we win the next one as well, then look for another option. Who will be Marcus North? <laughs> My biggest concern, especially for losing, you know, so for my biggest concern is batting the first innings, even in the second innings. You watch his stance to the to the fast bowls, he's standing on off stump. And that to me suggests that he's not totally confident in where his off stump is. But if you're standing on off stump, you should have a yeah, able to judge pretty well if the ball's going to miss the stumps. And he was still playing at those, even before he got out, he had a bit of a waft at that. And the, the, it's sort of that temperament. He may not quite have for Test cricket at this stage, um, and that's probably something that he needs to work on in that respect. I might um I just disagree a little bit with Cookson on. I think he's thirty-four in the second innings. It was fluent when he hit those two sixes, but I reckon it was pretty much an absolute shocker of an innings. He was lucky to get to thirty-four. I think two or three chances that uh, Bell could have easily got him out and played pretty poorly but um, the important thing is was that he got a score on the board and I think that might take the nerves away because you saw him when he was about to come in in the first innings um, he was literally shaking couldn't sit still legs were bouncing he was chewing god knows what just uh, hands wouldn't sit still and you know you sort of saw it and you knew he wasn't going to last long but um, second innings obviously still a bit nervy but at least he made some runs and yeah it's too early to call and Hopefully he builds off that and realises, look, I've made 34 in a test match and that's sort of something to build off. I can make runs at this level. I just sort of need to sit down and sort of uh, analyse what I'm doing. Like you said, things like standing on his off stump and not really knowing exactly, sort of just playing at things he doesn't need to and a lot of rookie sort of test player mistakes and I think he will learn from it. I do think he has the ability to make it, but it's just the mental application like it is with most people. Um, I don't think there's much else to talk about in terms of the Australians. I mean, the batsmen that failed all have decent reasons why you would keep them on. I mean, Rogers has credit from England, as does Smith, and to be fair, they were both some of the better performers in the Shield before the start of the series, so you're not going to be going to anyone who's really you know, performing much better, unless, of course, you do go to Marcus North, uh, the modern-day Bradman. Um, and Watson, he just had no... I think we forget that he had no cricket for three weeks. He went straight from being injured in India to playing that test match. He probably needs some time. The next Shield match is probably going to finish too close to the second test for him to play that, but he definitely needs to play some great cricket or something, just to get more time in the middle. Yep. I don't think he was awful in the first innings. He, you know, they audibly shouted "Oh no" when he got himself out. But um, I, you know, he sort of he contributed a bit, and um, yeah, and Rogers made sixteen off eighty-one, so he did his job and sort of stayed out there. Uh, he's sort of not really a cause for panic, I don't think. I said the he good was, thing about Watson, he did not waste a review during this <laughs> test match, though. In Australia, he's a review while they were batting at all. I don't know no, there you go. Um, but uh, the, the only thing with Rogers is it's probably players in the Shield performing well who could take his spot, especially since he is 36 and probably when he gets to that age, it's hard for you, them to, you know, stick through some poor performances, you know, with the idea of your potential. I mean, obviously we've talked about Marcus North and his outrageous form. Ed Cowan's in really good form. Um, and someone like a Jordan Silk is coming through. So... He probably needs to score some runs in the next couple of tests. Although if Australia keep winning, they'll be unlikely to change the winning combination there. Yeah, which I think is definitely the right thing to do. And winning form is good form. I don't see the need to change the composition of the team if we keep winning. But yeah, you, like I say, we'll be looking over his shoulder if he doesn't make runs, and we don't have as good a game next test. Considering, especially considering the glut of openers we have to um, in Australian cricket that. I sort of have played test cricket or around the mark. It's a healthy thing for him too. If he's got no pressure on his position, 
there's less of less of motivation for him to perform. So obviously it went a bit wrong. What yeah. were the, the thoughts in the dressing room after today? Yeah, um, yeah, it was obviously a disappointing session for us um, just before tea. Um, Moving on from the Australians, obviously the there's takes two teams to play a match, and England um, probably well definitely performed much lower than they expected. None of their batsmen really fired. Um, Carberry was alright in the first innings. Cook, you know, laid anchor in the second innings and tried to carry his team through. But outside of that, it was really an average batting performance and probably indicative of the fact that they hadn't played on um, pitches like the Gabba. I don't know what the Wacker pitch was like for that trial game, but they played in Hobart, they played in Sydney, so they weren't exactly coming off, um, you know, balls pitching in the salmon and hitting it on the chin type pitch. Um, <laughs> but yeah, obviously with Jonathan Trott going home now, it's going to change up the batting order, but Will Adel- the fact that the next test is in Adelaide help a lot of their batsmen, do you think, Tors? Is that going to make just naturally have a better performance because of the state that wicket usually is? I mean, if the pitch plays to its history of being sort of slower and flat and not much for sort of any bowler, then I imagine it will because it'll be more like an England pitch, or at least from the recent series. Um, batting order-wise, I think... Bell may move up to number three, and you probably see Balance come in at six, or whether or not Bairstow replaces Pryor. I think they'll bring you Pryor in another game, but um, yeah, do we Balance or Bairstow slot into six? The other the other talk was they may go Stokes, put him at six, um, or even seven, just have that extra bowling option, particularly because their bowling, apart from Broad, was a little bit lack penetration. We'll probably get into that after we talk about their batting. Um, but yeah, it's just just a lot of um, they just they just all seem un- underprepared, like they hadn't had proper practice time. I think got to give a bit of credit because I the Australia A game was boring as most of it was rained out, but um, it was the flattest deck ever, and when they were staying in the middle until the final day where it started doing a lot, and um, you know Cook and Carberry made big tons and had no trouble whatsoever, but it's not really adequate preparation and we obviously saw that um, I think Carberry did better than I thought he would I honestly thought that he would make a big score or a very very small score um, sort of ended up somewhere in the middle Bell and Pearson got out in the second innings when they really really couldn't afford to um, you know Bell got a rip snorter but Peterson you know just played into the trap yeah, and then prize form prize form was really worrying for them um, not only because it's been going on since the end of the New Zealand tour, we played that magnificent innings to save the test in New Zealand, and since then he just hasn't performed with the bat. And at the end of the day, the other option in the in the squad is Johnny Bairstow, who's barely a keeper anyway. So real concerns there for their batting, especially when Australia's number seven is batting so well. Says so probably do have a weak batting line. I mean, you got no. I see is that. Cook was Captain Stodgy and uh, Trot. Well, we know what happened to Trot. He just couldn't play pace at all. Peterson at least showed attacking intent. Like, he's either hot or cold. We all know that. So, But also, again, went out at bad times. There's always a chance against Peterson. He, he finds ways to get himself out. Yeah. He's almost Bowl. like he's an Australian batsman. Yeah. <laughs> was disappointing, but again, he was hiding the English batting fragilities in there, just like Michael Clark was doing for us a couple of years ago, and Root, again, first innings he shot himself, and it showed, and the second innings, he just, well, he didn't have to do a lot, he just went out there and bat. He had a pretty much an elongated net session, and prior was disappointing. I think he did a good job in the second innings, Root. I don't think we can you know, if, you, if you're not out at the end of the end of the match as a batsman, even if you haven't scored that many, you can't really be blamed for that innings. I mean, I think he did his job. He, he, he seemed to do a much better job against Johnson in that second innings. I think he handled it a lot better. So it's a good sign for England there. Yeah, it was definitely more the grindy kind of uh, route we saw in England. But, um, yeah, it still must be a little bit worrying for them that he's only made one big score in quite a while. He's definitely in need of a big 
uh, a century of at least something close to it soonish. Or I doubt they'll drop him, but especially with Trot leaving, but they would be a bit worried about it. So with Trot leaving, can they bring over a replacement to the squad? I imagine they can. Well, they've They're got that shadow squad, them. haven't they? They've got the um, the performance squad or their deadline squad. This may be where Sam Robson gets in. He's probably a perfect fit. I think it would might be actually be like the next in line batsman is probably James Taylor, who's actually playing um, at WA grade cricket at the moment. He made runs actually the other weekend. Uh, he's probably next in line for a batting spot for England after the initial squad. So, I mean, he at least he's in the country. I can't think of too many at home. I can think of plenty of um, English home. Can't, I can think of plenty of bowlers, but um, yeah, in terms of batting at number three, it's not an easy ask. So. Especially to replace someone of the caliber of Trot, it's. But as far as I know, the rules are that you are, yeah, you should easily be allowed to bring someone over. You can bring someone over whenever you want between between. I don't, I don't think there is rules for a bilateral series. I think it's only for um, things like the ICC series, like the World Cup, that you may maybe be a little bit more difficult. You can't bring in over more than fifteen players, whereas um, these sort of series you can bring over as many people as you want. I imagine. Um, we could all we could all make the joke um, that they're scouring the back, you know, the, the second elevens of South South African first class cricket for the next number three. Um, but I think that's in a bit poor taste given why Trot's going home. So yeah, when you say, really, when you say going home, home, is he going back to South Africa or England? <laughs> I imagine England. <laughs> I think I think everyone's made that joke, but um, yeah, it's. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be a tough ask for them, but you look at the quality that's still in that lineup, and you don't really, you're not suddenly when you take Trot out of that, you're not suddenly thinking right they're easy pickings because still got Cook, Peterson, and Bell, and um, Carberry looked all right, and Root on his day can be very dangerous. So yeah, it's not exactly like it's a bit of a let off for us, and a bit of a boom because he's such a quality batsman well, when he's pretty on. Pretty much so, the bowling guy that might need a weapon because. Broad was the only one who looked like taking wickets with the pace he got, any extra pounds. I mean, Tremlett was bowling at 125Ks, and that ain't going to do... That's going to do piss all in Australia. I mean, that's Shane Watson pace. With Tremlett, with yeah. Tremlett, is he... I mean, he did take a couple of wickets in that second innings. There are, there were concerns about his pace. Has he saved his spot, or do you think someone like Finn will come in? The concern, probably, the concern is that Finn, Finn and Rankin could probably give a bit more fire, but... They're so loose. I mean, they're both probably going to go at over four and over. At the very least, Tremlett kept it tight. Um, for people like Broad and Anderson at the other end to have a bit more of a crack. But my fear would be, in, if you're looking at it from the English point of view, that um, he managed to do that on the Brisbane pitch, which had a bit of life in it. If we go to Adelaide and it's a traditional Adelaide pitch, 128Ks is just going to be smacked to the boundary every, every other time, just the way it plays. I really do think also, they need to change him if they want to have more venom in the attack because bringing in Stokes isn't going to do anything in Adelaide, I don't think. I mean, he's an extra option, but if your option's not particularly good, it doesn't really help that much. I mean, Tremlett took four wickets, and um, but they weren't. none of them were very convincing. And, God, he's just, it's so slow. It's a, I know that white bowlers that tall often struggle to get heaps of pace on it, but sort of going at Watson-level pace, I mean... Bit slower but I mean, he was, he was quicker the last time he toured Australia, surely. I, I mean, he would have been probably high 130s from memory. Yeah, but yeah, he got constantly injured and his just his body's getting stuffed. And then you also look at Anderson, who pretty much has proven that if the ball's not swinging, he's useless. I mean, the last time they toured Australia, we had a wet summer and it was very English conditions, but now we have... In the two tours, we've had proper Australian conditions. The first one, he got carted all over the ground by Hayden and co. And this one, he disproved that, again, without swing, he's just putting it on a line and length, and he can't extract extra bounce. So, How's And he's also not bowled any that well against us since Trent Bridge, so he could be hiding a little bit of a niggle. What's the uh, state of... Tim Bresnan, is he another test off or so, or are they sort of a wait and see prospect? Because he would be obvious. He'd have to, you'd have to play in the chairman's game to be any chance. I think I don't think they can pick him. 
off. You know, he's been injured since the end of the test series, and you know, given their one nil down, yeah, you may think they have to, um, you know, pull a hail mary, but I don't think they can afford to go in with a unfit fast bowler. So if he doesn't play chairmans, I don't see how they can pick him. Yeah, I mean, if he gets in. Yeah, if he gets injured during the Adelaide Oval in the first innings, like what happened to Pattinson last year, that's going to stuff up Broad and Anderson even more. So I don't it, think they'll risk it. I mean, it's the English team. They're not going to risk it anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's more something we do. He just he bolsters the batting a bit too, so it sort of um would be handy for them. But, yeah, you'd... um. You wouldn't pick a ball if he's batting. Catch that, he does! England have a wicket just before lunch. There it is, that's out. He's got him straight away with the short one. Straight after lunch. Yeah, we'll talk about the whole ball thing. Probably should. Sort of gone out of Um, the way because um, we flogged them. But yeah, his first innings was pretty sublime. Yeah, definitely. Um... So, I mean, the whole the build-up of the series is how the Australian crowd is going to break broad, how, um, you know, we're going to get, get him back for what happened at Trent Bridge and and all that. And, you know, the career mail played up to it with the whole that 27-year-old medium pace bowler. And um, halfway through the first day, it looked like backfiring massively. And if it wasn't for England's even more spectacular collapse, um, we may be talking about how the career mail and Darren Lehman's uh, jibes have cost Australia the first test. He bowled that well. It was a sort of pitch that suited him, though, compared to the other guys. I mean, it suits Tremlett, but not the way he's bowling. Um, <laughs> I'd expect him to do well most of the series. And, uh, just the way he bowls. I think it's he'd probably prefer playing more games in Australia than England. Yeah, because he's that height, isn't he? He's that sort of perfect height where he doesn't lose much pace. Um, from being overly tall, uh, and uh, he gets really extracts the bounce, and you know he bowls aggressively, and yeah, like you said, he probably almost preferred to do it in Australia, and it's um sort of he bowled a lot of short at the length stuff, and it really just worked. It was just uh, them, it was popping up, and they were playing at it, and yeah, it was very very impressive in the first innings, and he just kept doing it. I mean, it was. He got Rogers early, and then it was sort of in the space of um, 20 overs or so, like 10 for him, and he just went bang, got Watson, Clark, Warner, Bailey, Smith, which is pretty much the whole top order. Given to them winning the series, he's going to have to pull something out of his hat to, you know, get them across the line in Adelaide, and obviously pitch probably isn't going to suit him there. Um, his history suggests that he has one or two good tests uh a series, and then he's a lot quieter, so... Bowling! Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. The shoulder arms... So the big talking point today, up until, you know, Trot's announcement, has been all about the sledging, the um, what was caught on um, the stump mics, set by Michael Clark to James Anderson. Um, it's created an issue again. There's been heaps of articles written about it. You know, sledging is bad or sledging is fine, you know, deal with it. And then you read the comment section, you want to claw your eyes out why you're reading the comment section on the, <laughs> on an article about sledging because you just know it's going to be rubbish opinions on both sides. Um, God, those, it's just a mountain out of my hole. You just, you just know that so much else was caught on those cameras that wasn't played on on the TV. And that one one little clip has gone gone through the TV and it's become a big deal and Clark's been fined for it. Um, you I really like don't see... Channel 9's fault, really. Yeah, like Channel 9 should probably pay the fine. Chip in and pay the fine, I mean. It's probably not the worst thing that was said for the whole test. It's just yeah, the exactly. thing that was caught. Yeah, it's I mean, picked up. Clark said in response to Anderson seemingly having a go at Bailey the whole time. I mean, we don't know what Anderson said to Bailey, but it can't have been good. And Anderson, you know, you watch Anderson in England, he's giving it as much as anyone to the Australians. So hopefully it hasn't been Anderson going to have a bit of a whinge to the umpires about what was said and then left from there. Hopefully it's just been their own volition. But, um, yeah, it's really a mountain out of Mulhill. It's something for the newspapers to write about, the, um, you know, the gossip columnists and the, you know, social do-gooders to rail about. You know, it's corrupting the children, cricket, the gentleman's game and all that. But really... Just get on with it. It's, yeah. It was just that, honestly, he's just saying it 
to, you know, put the fear into him that that could happen. I doubt he wants Mitchell Johnson to break his arm. He just, he just wants, wants to get on. And to think that, you know, yeah. that that's what's going to happen and so on. Here's what happened, though. I think because Shane Warne's been on Twitter and he's pretty much said that, oh, if they heard what Anderson said or that got broadcast, he would be in a lost roster. I think Bailey just said, get ready to face Johnson and... Pretty much Anderson's like, oh, I'm going to punch you in the face, blah, blah, blah. He acted like a smarmy little moron. So pretty much then Clark comes in because they were all criticised Clark about not sticking up for the team and blah, blah, blah. He came in. He decides to tell Anderson pretty much shut up after after he goes whinging to the umpires because he's scared of short stuff. Like, I think that was the reason why he went to the umpires. I mean, let's be frank. I mean... Anderson's just that one kid who acts like the toughest person, then when, as soon as you fight back, he suddenly goes away. I mean, we boo broad and all that, but he gives it as much as he takes it. Like, I thought Bumble was hilarious when he was watching it, and he was like, oh, give him a, give him a pair of handbags, and he's like, these two blokes <laughs> yelling at each other, and they couldn't fight their way out of a paper bag. <laughs> I was yeah. good, actually. I hope, given that, um, you know, Tony Gregg's gone, and Richie and... Um, Bill are coming to the end. I hope they get him out for more than just England series. He's good value. Anyway, um, finally moving on, before we wrap up tonight, we're going to have a quick look forward to the second test. England have a chairman's 11 game in Alice Springs. Um, you know, giving, as as you can see, we're flying around the country, tiring them out. Um, Australia's named an unchanged 12. Um, and from what we can gather, you'd imagine they'd go in with an unchanged 11, or they'd have um, reserve the right to add people, add, um, sorry, a second. They have reserved the right to add players if they deem fit, um, which may be because we are seeing the first test with the Adelaide Oval having a drop in pitch. Um, so it is a bit exciting. We've, we've talked about tonight about, you know, the traditional Adelaide Oval pitch being slow and low and things like that, but we don't know what we're going to get, to be honest. Um, what do, do you, oh, sorry, I'm, uh, Pete do you see Australia going with an unchanged 11 and do you think that they're going to be able to carry on the form the form, the form they have shown in this first test? I think we'll almost certainly go in unchanged and uh, for the second question, I think your guess is as good as anyone else's. It's, um, it's very, very hard to tell how we'll play from one to the next, but you definitely hope that we take the confidence forward and you know, so much of cricket is mental that you would hope that we come out firing and don't drop our heads um, and do sort of have that fight back. Know that we can claw back from a situation like we were on the first day, no matter what happens. I just want, I just want, I just want this memo to be sent around to every single ground. Prepare a fast, hard pitch. I mean, I don't care about how Australia's like. Oh, we let the curators do whatever they want. Let's not doctor our pitches. I mean, everyone else does it. We should do it too. Let's give some. Let's. Play to our strengths. Let's doctor some pictures. Especially just come off a series in India yeah. where every pitch <laughs> was a slow, low turner. We came off a series in England where everything was made for spin and reverse swing. Yeah, it's a bit, you know, it's it's all fine to take the high road, but, you know, we want to win. Not going to win you We haven't won a series in against England for five, since 06, 07. I don't, I don't care if they're all doctored to be, you know, raging green tops that with massive cracks down the middle, if that's what helps us win the Ashes, then I'm all for it at this at this stage. In terms of adding players to the squad, um, who do you think's first on the list? Um, sort of your first few uh, tours. I imagine I know who your first answer will be. But apart from that, well, uh, the reborn man, Marcus North, just plundering the runs in Shield cricket at the moment uh, and wickets as well. Um, other than that, I mean. Bowling-wise, I can't really think of anyone that's standing out at the moment. Um, bat- other batting options, I mean, Hughes got a double 100 but then, and then got 60 in the next game, but also got a low score. Faulkner's probably... Oh, well, I mean, he's in the 12, so he's around the mark, probably if um, Watson trips over his skirt in the warm-up. But, um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it'll be the same 11. I can't see any changes. Well, I mean, it's, yeah... There's, there is there is some good signs in terms of the batting in the shield. Um, we're starting to develop some depth. If you look at the top ten shield run scorers, there's a good mix of experienced heads. You know, your your Norse, your 
your whites, your cowans, um, and young young guns, your silks, your heads. Um, Peter Hanscom's doing all right. He needs to kick on though. Um, and the buy, yeah, there's no one really standing out with the buy. I guess we're probably just waiting for Pattinson, Stark, and Bird to be fit before we consider changing the bowling lineup. Um, couldn't I bowl well this week? Yeah, it took um, eight for 110. So, but um, on a on a pitch, you know, I mean, and that pitch, that was a pitch where West Australia scored 500 on, so it can't be. It was probably it can't have been a you know, a, you know, a typical whacker wicket where it's Yorkers are hitting batsmen on top of the head. Um, so that, that's a good sign, um, especially because he spent so long following the one day team around. Um, yeah, I mean. It's, yeah, you're probably just waiting for those those guys to come back. Um, and there's some good batting options around if people aren't performing as well based on shield form. So I think we're doing all right. I, th- I think we've probably got the right 11 at this stage, though, and we really should stick to it for this next test. I mean, well, we, have the same, we, we have the same squad at 12, with one extra being potentially another spinner. So give it this, what, Ahmad, Agar, O'Keefe, or... Nah, Doherty took seven wickets, Doherty. so, yeah, he's should be straight back in. Very, very, it'd be very hard for them to drop line after his performance, so no doubt the selectors are going to find a way to. <laughs> no, it's because no, I think it's we're concerned that Adelaide's going to be that crap that it might necessitate two spinners, so... Well, that's, that's, the, other, that's the other thing. Um, the talk's been... Because Perth backs on to Adelaide, there's been a lot of talk about... Um, you know, particularly resting, say, Ryan Harris in terms of making sure that he's right for Perth. Um, it doesn't seem like that's going to be the way they're going to go about it, but um, is there merit in that, do you think, Tors? Maybe resting Ryan Harris for Perth? Um, there probably is, considering that we won the first game. If we didn't, I don't think there's any chance that he would have been rested. But you've got to have a ready... You've got to have someone who can come in and do at least close to as good a job, which I don't think we have um, someone firing to the best of ability. We might have gone a bit too in-depth with this preview. I think that's a wrap-up now. Um, yeah, so everyone's very happy with the result, and I guess we're all just hanging out to wait for the next one. Um, I guess we'll try to do a bit more of a preview maybe after the chairman's thing, if we can. Yeah, and uh, yeah, thanks for listening, and uh, yeah, we'll be back soon. See you guys. See you. See you.